Hey there, welcome back to the Heretics Club. I am your host, Amanda Steed, and in this episode, episode two, I sat down to talk to Jean-Yel Kastner, who is a friend of mine in the Dallas area. She is a writer and a podcast producer and a really, really great storyteller and um, just creative mind. I am never bored in a conversation with Jean-Yel. She articulates things in this conversation in a way that I think will have you nodding your head, that I think will have you um, tearing up, and <laughs> it did me anyway, listening back to it. I had several moments of uh, just like wiping tears and nodding my head, and I was there for the conversation originally, so I am really excited to have you listen to it, and I'll leave you to it. Enjoy. All right. Hi. So. Hi. Sean Yell Kastner. Mm-hmm. You're on the Heretics Club. I'm in, I'm on it or I'm in it? Both. You're on it. You're in it. You're in the mix. I love clubs. Can we start by you telling people who Sean Yell is? Yes. Who are you? Yes. I am an adult female human who uh, writes. I, used, I came up in the theater. I'm in my like mid, I'm on the other half of my <laughs> 20s at the moment. Um, I came up in the theater and I wanted to be an actor. First I wanted to be a youth pastor, then I wanted to be an actor, then I wanted to be, uh, and then I figured out that as an actor, um, that I'm a better writer than I am an actor. Okay, tell me, you, youth pastor, you were how old when you wanted to be a youth pastor? Oh! I never knew this about you. Oh, you didn't? I, I feel like it radiates off of me, so maybe <laughs> I don't need to talk about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like... I was on yeah. student government, obviously, and I wanted to be a youth pastor. I think it's essential parts of my personality. Yeah, when I was in um, all through probably uh, high school, middle school, high school. Okay. I really wanted to do that because my youth pastors like meant the world to me. Uh-huh. And if I think about the things that I wanted to do when I was a youth pastor, I wanted to work with young women because uh-huh. I, I cared so deeply about young women and them having like a purpose and a goal and just tremendous value just as they were and I I already had this feeling that I couldn't quite put a name to which was that like something about the game was rigged against women Mm -hmm. you know I had this and you know of course when you're young and you're in a religious context you have a lot of theological language for that which is like girls don't know that they're like a daughter of the king which means they're a princess or whatever you know like you 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 get this language for it that got me to start scratching at that um but yeah, there was this sense that some sort of game was rigged and women were um, were um, not benefiting from mm-hmm. it. They were on the mm-hmm. losing end of something that was like plaguing us. Yeah. And so I wanted to be youth pastor and work with young women. Okay. Um, and then that transitioned into acting was the next thing? Yeah, I went to theater school. Okay. And then I was still really, really involved in my church while I was doing that. So I was still working in youth ministry and then in theater school, which is this fun little like dual thing happening. So it's like the night before I'm at like a theater kids dirty Disney party where like everyone's coming up with Disney characters uh-huh. whatever and then that Saturday night and then I leave early to go work on my like lesson plan because I teach Sunday school in the morning to like a bunch nice. of middle schoolers I yeah. had a similar I had a similar um what's the like oxymoronic life going on is it on? like a um what is it uh not diametrically opposed dissonant yeah like a dissonance yes, like a dissonance between yeah. like 
same thing, leading worship and teaching Sunday school on Sunday mornings after being out drinking mm. on a Saturday night. See, I wasn't drinking, though. That's the <laughs> difference. I wasn't. I Well, not until I was 21. Yeah. I was very straight edge. Like, I took it very seriously. Yeah. I was like, great. So I want to live a life that I don't have to apologize or squint at or hide mm-hmm. from the young people that I mentor. So I was like, great. Oh, if they ask me yeah. if I'm drinking, I say no. And they ask why and say, because I'm not 21 and I follow the rule of the land or whatever. Yeah. And then when I'm I like 21, I, I could say, yeah, um, I do drink. Here's how I drink. Here's the gig. And Because I, I always really resented whenever I felt like the like, older leaders in like our youth group, but I was younger, like were like telling me to do one thing and I was still like on fire for whatever. And mm-hmm. then I got the sense that they were like hiding parts of their life from me. Yeah. Which also I have like, had no, I don't think I had an appropriate sense of boundaries. <laughs> also, <laughs> um, there are plenty of things you shouldn't talk about with that 14 year old. Right. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I wanted to like live like a life that I could like, but that they could, um, they didn't have to hide from them. Right. And, uh, or like be an example. Like you wanted to lead by yeah. example. Yeah. I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, um, yeah, not have to hide who I was, like, be, be able to be, like, an integrated person in front of them. Um, and then it became, like, I reached a point where, like, that no longer was, like, tenable. Mm. Like, I remember being told that I was allowed to drink, but I wasn't allowed to tell people that I drink. And I was like, why? I want them to know. Mm-hmm. They asked me, like, I want to be able to say. And then it was like, well, it's just like, it's not, you're not doing anything wrong, but we want to avoid the appearance of evil. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want to interrogate that. Because if it's not evil, evil then it how is it evil, appear? Right? Yeah, there was a, a yeah. lot of like conceptual stuff that I feel like I was constantly interrogating and not from a place of like, I'm a bit of a shithead. Because I had those friends. You know. It was <laughs> that just, was me. Yes, I was of the course. One was the well, you're a bit of yeah. a, yeah, that's just kind of the kid you are. And yeah. You, I wasn't that. At least in youth, in the youth group, like the, yeah. In the ecosystem of the youth group, there has to be a couple of those kids. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. Or else, is it even a youth group? (laughs) Um, But it was always from a very earnest place. Mm -hmm. Why? Can you tell me why this is going to be creating death instead of life to talk about this? Like, can you prove this to me? Like, and I remember, yeah, and I remember it escalating from like our youth pastor at the time to like our pastor pastor, which was a very big deal because like hierarchy was very big. And I remember him talking to me about it, and and then he said something about uh, Donald Trump doesn't drink, and he runs a very successful business. This is all pre, yeah, isn't that crazy? Of all the people who should have seen Trump coming, I am one of them. I just didn't. I missed it. Um, And I was like, oh, that's not, well, it's not really about, that's not what I was really, my success or efficacy isn't the thing at stake. It's more like the appearance of it. I never really got a good answer for it. I was just like, okay, so like no red cuffs on my, in photos. Mm. Um, and then that was sort of one of the beginnings of the ends of like that, that church and me volunteering at that church. Okay. So I want to come back to that. Yeah, we can. But I want to finish up on just talking about who you are. Oh yeah. So I was in theater school. <laughs> I wanted to be an actor and then I didn't like the monologues for mm-hmm. young women. I hated them. They were just so, they're either like non-existent or the ones I could find were like sexy. So I'm seducing you and mm-hmm. I'm a side character who exists to be sex. It was a very hard action to play be sexy it's like that's not yeah that's like be smell like that's not very specific like you do you do things that then are sexy so I got bored of those or they were like traumatized like and then after the abortion I you know or they were like self-righteous like righteously indignant Mm -hmm. here's why you're wrong Craig why you never should have dumped me like those are the kind of the three monologues available for young women contemporary ones anyway so I started writing my own stuff and then um, I found out that I was a better writer than I am an actor. I mm. liked writing, and then I started writing more and more. And then 
I needed better actors than me to perform when I was writing, mm-hmm. or more diverse actors, or like more actors physically present in a scene. So I had yeah. to start um, casting other people in the scenes and stuff. And so then I figured out I really like this writing part better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been a writer ever since. And I write plays, and I write podcasts, and I do. Uh, my medium is anything with words. I think. Yeah. Like I'll put words on walls. I'll put words on screens. I'll put mm. words in people's mouths and make them act them out on stage. Mm-hmm. I'll put them in your ears. Tell me about what the the thing that you're most proud of. Oh, of my work? Mm-hmm. Um, wow, what a good question. Most proud of. Uh, okay, I'm torn. There's a play that I'm really proud of that is going to get produced, um, not this year, but next year, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. The world premiere. It'll be very exciting. Um, and I'm really most proud of that play because I think it's the best play that I've ever written, but probably Untitled Dad Project is probably the thing that I'm most proud of personally mm-hmm. because it is a, it's a long form, like four year investigation into the grieving process by way of the creative process. Mm-hmm. It's how I found my way into podcasting. So I'll give you the, <laughs> I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give our listener and the name of the play... Oh, the play's called Sweet Pea. It's getting produced. Yeah! I'm you came so to my... Excited. Amanda, for listener at home. Um, I'm picturing one person on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Maybe my, two. It's my mom. Your mom. <laughs> my mom's one of them. Your mom. Um, and my mom. So we hey, have... Mom. Both of our moms are listening. Oh. Uh, for sure. God bless. Hopefully my husband will listen. That's so three already. Three and where three or more are gathered. <laughs> And God's listening, too. That's what it is. Oh, so exciting. That's in the Bible. Um, yeah, Sweet Pea was a play that Amanda came to a reading of. Um, and it's very, very, very good. Or thank the you. A reading was, and I can yeah. imagine with how much you've worked on it since then. Yeah. Like, I'm very excited. The new it. draft is better. It's cleaner. It's brighter. It's um, scarier. I really like it. Um, that play's about a couple that moves in together um, after being broken up, and they share a space, uh, mm-hmm. a very tight space, and they fall out of love. And when they move back in together, their birds were moved into separate cages. And from separate cages, their birds fall in love. So it's like a study on so sharing space and the impossibility of intimacy. And the same two actors play both the characters and the birds. But both the actors, I'm sorry, both the humans and the birds. Um, but Untitled Dad Project is like a, this, when my dad unexpectedly died. Um, or the dad, oh, I still have to get good on my elevator pitch. I'm going to try. Got it. This is really good practice. Are you practice. ready? This Kyle, is really good practice. your mom, my mom, they're listening. Kyle, right mama, and what's your mom's name? Lisa. But would she want me to call her Lisa or would she want me to call her Miss something? No, Lisa. She would be so offended if you called her Miss something. Really? Yeah. Oh. My mom's a very young mom. She had me she's when she was cool 17. Mom. Yeah. And so she's only in her, I'll say, she recently turned 50 in the last Gosh, Gotcha. Years. All right. So it's, Kyle, Mama, and Lisa. Here's what Untitled Dad Project is. It is uh, uh, a couple years ago, the father that I never knew but always planned on reconciling with died suddenly. I had gotten his email address um, six months prior, and I started drafting an email to finally reach out and, like, reconcile. Say something. Not even reconcile. Just say, like, hey, I exist, and I don't hate you in case you think I do. Or something. I don't know what I was Mm going to say, but something. I started drafting it in my head. Didn't know what to say. And then, um, then he died, and he was declared dead on my birthday. And then I found out through the funeral processes, you know, all of a sudden I was CC'd on emails planning his funeral. And uh, I found out no one in his life knew that I existed, um, which was really crazy. And I, Mm. 
I couldn't make emotional sense, so I decided I want to try to make narrative sense out of this. Mm-hmm. I've never known the story of why my dad wasn't in my life. Yeah. Like, even when I was young, you know, I interviewed um, my, my childhood best friend for this project, and she was like, yeah, you never talked about not having a dad. If people asked you about it, you, like, found a way to segue out of it craftily. Like, I always did. People mm-hmm. stop asking after a while. I I think they thought the story was just dramatic, and I didn't want to tell it, and the answer is I just didn't know. Yeah. It's crazy the things you don't really ask. Um in order to cope and stay uh-huh. whole and stay happy. So yeah. so I decided, okay, well, <laughs> uh, I didn't get to send that email. <laughs> the least I can do is like figure out how to tell my own story and try to reckon with who this dad character is. Mm-hmm. So it's my um, um, grieving process by way of creative process, narrative quest to figure out how to tell my own story. Mm-hmm. So each episode we take a different lens. The first one is on inciting instant. So I interviewed um, Robert McKee. He's this... Um, he wrote the book called Story. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a screenwriting Bible for a lot of folks. He's like a story teacher. Mm-hmm. And he helped me figure out what my inciting incident was. The next episode's on genre. I talked to a soap opera actress. Because the feeling I had when I showed up at those funerals was like, my genres changed from like, I'm the plucky female protagonist in an indie rom-com to like, <laughs> I'm the surprise bastard daughter in a soap opera. Oh, That's what yeah. it felt like. Just showing up. Like, y'all are in your own genre where I am this side character Mm-hmm. It was insane. Um, so we talked to a soap opera actress about like how do I embrace mm-hmm. this new soap opera genre, and I end up writing a soap opera scene that we're now casting oh a man gosh. to play my dad for me to act it out with. Um, the next episode's on plot. What do you do when your plot changes? I thought I had one plot, and I got another one. How do you reckon with plot twists? Oh my gosh! So each episode I'm so has a different. I am excited too. I'm about four episodes in to what's going to be um, probably about nine with like a finale, so ten. And it's exhausting, and it's um, required a lot of ruthless honesty from me mm-hmm. in a, and um, it's weird to find out that the stories you've been telling yourself are incomplete or not always true mm-hmm. that's a really scary jarring thing to learn so the last couple years for me have been a lot of like lear- relearning <laughs> what my story actually mm-hmm. is that like my story is not like not to segue directly into the faith stuff but like the evangelical story is one of like there's befores and there's afters. Yeah. Very and binary. It's very binary, Good, but it's also bad, really beautiful. Like I grew up hearing testimonies of yeah. grown adults saying like, I was once mm-hmm. this and here's how I treated people and here's how I was treated and yeah. I found Jesus and now I'm an after. Like I know grace, I know wholeness, I know freedom, I know freedom from addiction, like all this beauty. And I'm this like young person growing up with Jesus. And I'm like, so I'm an after. Mm. I'm an after. I don't know what it's like to not have Jesus. So I, yeah. and I'm growing up with my mom and in our church and we're so integrated into our church and um, our faith is so much a part of keeping us whole and yeah. keeping us safe and keeping us complete. And so to feel like, which meant conspicuously not um, acknowledging the fact that there was a gaping hole in my family that I didn't have a dad and I didn't know why I didn't have a dad and I just didn't know. I knew he wasn't there because he wasn't allowed to be there, mm-hmm. you know? So there's like rejection there. So like, so a lot of the past couple years has been interrogating, realizing like, oh, I am, uh, my story might be one of loss. Mm-hmm. Like my story is one of realizing that loss matters. Mm-hmm. That like never having had a dad matter, never having had a dad mattered this whole time. Yeah. I wasn't fine mm-hmm. and, and, and perfect. And me and my mom against the world were Gilmore girls, you know? Like, that was a really lovely story I told myself. Yeah. It's a really lovely story I told myself. And So, um, and that plays back into the, like, so you saw yourself as an after without having a before. Yeah. So how has this, how has going through this process shifted 
the way that you look at that? Oh, it's made or me, has it? It it's shifted a lot. It's made me realize that like having. I think I'm realizing for the first time, which is crazy because people, this might sound crazy to, to some people, I'm realizing that we all have gaping holes in us. Mm-hmm. We, we just have them. <laughs> we, we just have yeah, gaping holes yeah. that like nothing might ever quite fix or yeah. sew up or heal entirely. We'll just have holes mm-hmm. and that that is like relevant to who we are, but it doesn't define who we are. Mm-hmm. Like you can simultaneously be more than enough and also have gaping holes. Yeah, that those yeah. two things aren't in aren't mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. That like healing isn't like a done thing. Yes. Like yeah. that you don't solder these things closed, never for them to like it felt like my options as a child were either you're broken because you don't have a dad, or you're gonna take this God thing seriously and be healed and whole and mm-hmm. dad God is your father. And, yeah. and he's a good dad and you'll never know loss because he's your father and he's the father of the father's and husband or husbandless, whatever. So it was like, okay, so then I'm healed and God, mm-hmm. God's my dad and we're fine because God yeah. saved us and we're, we're good now. But then there was that pesky feeling of like, no, but there's still absence here and there's still loss mm-hmm. and there's still lack. Yeah. So the idea of those two things mm-hmm. living in tandem is actually pretty revolutionary. It's a pretty new concept for me to reckon with. Yeah. Like nothing will ever like because saying you didn't you didn't lose anything by not having a dad. You always had God, whatever, whatever. Is also to say, for me, it kind of feels like well, let me say it this way. There's a new concept that has been introduced in my life in the since my dad's death, which is you deserved a dad. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like you deserved one. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Like, that was a thing you deserved, and yeah. you don't get it. And so recognizing that loss right. is actually um, really validating. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. I did, didn't like I? Like, finally someone named the thing in the air. Yeah. that feeling you couldn't shake. You deserved a dad, and you didn't have one. Yeah. You don't have to pretend like not having one doesn't matter, because that's also pretending like you didn't deserve a dad. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. all these things are so connected of, like, are you whole or are you not? Which is what Christianity is, that's so troubling about Christianity is so hard. It's like, are you whole or are you not? Like, are Mm -hmm. you done? Are you sanctified or are you not? Are you saved or are you not? And the idea that you're supposed to have been done with all of this somehow. Yeah. You know, signed, sealed, delivered um, is something that I'm now a lot less interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so that's a good lead in. Yeah. Let's go back a little bit further Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and tell me about the faith tradition that you grew up in. I grew up in a non-denominational church in suburbs of Texas, suburbs of Dallas. And so we were non-denom, which I would say the closest thing we were was to like the city version of Assemblies of God. Okay. If you can imagine that. And so when you say, I grew up in this church, is that like... My mother was pregnant and showed up and a woman prayed on her on her belly told her she was going to have a daughter that she was chosen to give this daughter to be this daughter's mother by god and my mom swears that woman's an angel because she never saw her again that's how that's how i would mean by born into this church like my mother showed up pregnant at this church you literally grew up i literally grew up in this church yes so tell me a little bit about it what was the because assemblies of assemblies of god is pretty charismatic oh yes it was great so we were yeah non-denom we were we were charismatic we were speaking in tongues there was this great moment 
where I was like, I would say like eight or nine. Um, no, I was a little older, 10, 11, where, uh, the church went from like, uh, these like tacky, like rose, rose print. Like it was literally printed roses, carpeting Mm -hmm. in this auditorium and like big floral displays, like big, like televangelist kind of like sanctuary to like greens and browns. And we want to look like a Starbucks moment. Okay. (laughs) And like when that happened, when that big push happened to like look more contemporary, look Uh more like, look more like fellowship, you know, who who like the Uh big shits and the big shits and the, the big Baptists. Shits. <laughs> and they were big shit Baptists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were the big dogs. I meant big dog, and then I said, I meant big dog and the shit, and it turned uh-huh. into big shit. Big shit. Um, like but yeah, it. Fellowship was so cool. It was the so, big like, shit. It was the big shit. And um, and with that, there was like, uh, they asked the tambourine lady, or the tambourine lady kind of stopped doing the tambourine aisle. Uh-huh. I used to hop Explain on. That. Explain and, that. Okay, so what tambourine happens aisle. is that you have... Um, the praise and worship is happening and in the charismatic environment it's like raising of hands and mm-hmm. a lot of freestyle praying, singing, you can keep going, people can be speaking in tongues like privately on their own. Like I didn't know about the whole, there's a concept that with speaking in tongues is one person speaking um, a language that the Holy Spirit has given them mm-hmm. and that that, that that needs to be spoken and given an interpretation by somebody else and that was never really a thing that I understood at all or heard until I was much older. It was very like everyone's talking in their own Right. personal, what they would call their prayer language, which mm-hmm. is like the private like language they're making up between them, the Holy Spirit's giving them. So lots of sound, cacophony, really mm-hmm. beautiful cacophony, like roaring, lifting, like culminating anthemic music constantly. It was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, full band, that sort of thing. Used to be a choir and then... And then tambourine lady. Tambourine lady would be in the, in the audience. Okay. So like like very democratic she would just have her tambourine she would tambourine along you know like whatever and then she would tambourine and dance down the aisle kind of like dance train down the aisle uh-huh. and then um as kids would like hop on the back and kind of conga with her and it was like okay. still technically considered worship because like it was right. a tambourine lady yeah and it was also a really fun way to just like move around when you were like bored and like you don't want to yeah. stand there so long when you're a kid <laughs> um so uh yeah that was tambourine lady but like i think she's i remember her st- not being a thing kind of after the church got cool hmm. um and, and we said ba- oh, yeah and banners um banners that have like sequins and uh-huh. um and flags glitter. or banners banners, banners. not flags okay. the banners that they like like holy of holy, or like um like uh, different names of gods they were names of god oh okay jehovah jireh okay and this is like hanging up like around the sanctuary there on wooden poles that had like stands that were all around and so so would people walk the banners down on like special occasions it wasn't like a regular thing i think so i didn't grow up in a charismatic church yeah so i love talking to my friends who did i think my friend halen maybe still goes to or Mm. did more recently in the last couple years and it it's so moving to her yeah that when the banners are brought down she is just like yeah it's uh, it is there's really nothing it. quite like it. And she's also a seven on the Enneagram. That's oh, really yeah. interesting to me. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Um, there were a lot of problematic things. Like, I have a very early memory of, like, being, like, eight. My mom making me go up and, like, pray over. I was, like, sick or something. I was, like, I don't want to go for prayer. And then someone putting their hands on my um, face and head because they would go down the row and they would pray. And then you would get slain in the spirit, which mm-hmm. is when... Someone has their, one of the pastors come, you, you come forward to pray, so you're at the foot of the stage, and then some of the pastors, like, descend the stage, they walk down the steps, and they put their hands on you, and they pray over you, and then you would pray, they, you, they would pray over you, and then people would, like, report that they would, like, be slain in the spirit, which was, like, overcome. 
like overcome. They wouldn't even remember always what happened and then they would fall backwards and someone would be behind them praying with their hands on their back and that person would kind of guide them to the ground. And then they had these special um, like privacy shield cloths that were like folded that looked like, looked like um, napkins. Uh-huh. Not quite linen napkins, but like that fabric, like fancy yeah. wedding napkins, but much bigger and they were rose colored and they would go over um, if women had skirts on so that you just didn't have uh, okay. a situation where a skirt would fly out um, when they fell backwards because that's when in the spirit. Keeping um, it ladylike. Absolutely. And I came out for a prayer time on Mamie and someone put their hand, um, I actually remember who it was, but I'm not going to name names. Um, he put his hand on my head and he kept kind of like pushing as he was praying, like mm-hmm. a boom, like a, like a bit of a boom, like yeah. a, knocking me off just my trying, balance. Yeah. And then I was like, oh no, I'm fine. And he said, oh, it's fine. Just fall over anyway. And I was like, oh. okay, so I did. And then I was like laying down there. And I remember having a moment where I, I thought, I'm never going to pretend ever again. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to pretend this ever again. And it wasn't, I'm not going to pretend because I'm a cynical. Again, I'm not cynical. I'm not going to pretend because I believe in this. Mm-hmm. So to pretend something that you believe in to me mm-hmm. is much more of a violation than to pretend something that you think is kind of dumb. Yeah. That you're pretending for other people's benefit. Um, I remember thinking, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I wished for more fortitude and moral stuff, I think, in that moment. To say, like, no. Because if we believe in yeah. this, then we, then, yeah. then nothing falls apart when one person doesn't get slain. Right? Yeah. Like, if you believe that or Holy Spirit's when, actually moving. Or when moving, someone says, I'm 21 years old and I drink alcohol. Yeah, like, right? you're, yeah, this, the, the stuff, kind of principle. like, it's charlatans who are worried when mm-hmm. the performance isn't working. For people yes. who, like, believe, you know, if you believe in that your medicine actually works, when someone comes back and they say it's not working, you say, okay, well, let's examine. You don't say, like, well, you know, I think if you just, you know, it, it probably is working if you just, you know. Yeah. Like, people who believe in it are confident. They're not worried when yeah, things don't go the way you hope. So, yeah, that was one of my early memories. So that's the kind of church I was in. Um... And it was, very, it was a big, it was a mega church at the time, and then it slowly shrunk down over the course of me becoming, me becoming an adult was the period where the church grew from like many thousand to 1,000 to 500 to 250 to like 75 people left in this auditorium, and my mom was like one of the, one of the 75 class members. And what was that experience like for you? Um, it was, the church was starting to, um... I don't know if fall apart's the right word, just sort of shrink and shrink and shrink as I was coming into my own as an adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still there towards the end when I was in it was in college, and so it kind of completely went poof right as I was graduating college. Mm. You know, it was like, I don't know, just a bit poetic and a bit on the nose like much of my life has been, <laughs> or it's like this is just the symbolism is, if yeah. in a book you'd be like, oh, right, that's a bit heavy-handed. Um, but yeah, as I'm like graduating college, the church is disbanding. Hmm. Um, and the pastor was getting much, the pastor was getting much older mm-hmm. and a lot of the, the message that was really potent to people at the time was very much so a part of, um, what some people call the prosperity gospel. Uh-huh. Um, you want me to explain? Uh-huh. Yeah, explain yeah. that. Um, which is <laughs> the idea that God rewards those who are his followers. So by believing more in God, you are then opening yourself up to access more of his blessings. Mm-hmm. So my, I, it was much, it would be much easier if it was like, if you pray, you get a big car. That would be a much easier way of yeah. um, navigating it mm-hmm. because that sounds so idiotic. It was a much more yeah. nuanced, yes. much more nuanced economic system. Of, I mean, um, if, if bad things happen, 
that could be the devil testing you because you're about to have a great breakthrough. Because the devil would always want to, it's always darkest before dawn. The devil would yes. want to get you down right before you're about to do something amazing. So if you're in suffering, it's because you're about to get a blessing. And if you're experiencing a blessing, you you're suffering. And you to be faithful. Yes. If you're suffering, it's because you're faithful and you're about to get a blessing. And if you are being blessed, it's because you're faithful. So it's like you're kind of never not being encouraged to be more faithful. Um, hmm. And, uh, and yeah. And so that was very much of the message. And that was really, really important and really popular for a lot of people. Um, but I think the church, my understanding from that's from kind of stepping away from being on the inside was I think the church had a lot of financial trouble. Mm. Um, and, uh, so tell me, like, when you think back about growing up mm-hmm. in this church, what are some, how do you feel about it? Like, what are the emotions there? Because I'm sure you could tell me a lot of different experiences that made you feel differently. But kind of overall, yeah, is there? I um, I'm in a really weird place right now. I um, so I wrote a play not too long ago mm-hmm. that was about a church putting on a play. Okay. So it was this moment of me, um, like churches where I fell in love with the theater, uh, like those the beautiful cacophonous music like lifting everybody and like all these people who had such like regular and oftentimes really sad lives having a moment where they felt glorious like Mm -hmm. this was like to say it was their these people's country club is it sounds so pejorative i mean like something that gives you purpose that feeling you get in the montage of a movie where a community is coming together and like whoopi goldberg's kid has the kids singing and all of a sudden like the community Uh they're planting a tree and then connection yes, from isolation yes. to connection that movie montage moment like that's what Sundays were for like mm. this community of people like people who didn't have a lot of things to be um like to brag about mm-hmm. that, that they were a part of this church and they helped build this church and that they were a respected family in this church and they had kids who were like helping yeah lead the youth group like that it gave people such purpose and meaning including me um and so I wrote that play uh, as a way of trying to like process. I felt really, really, um, like really bitter and weird about a lot of stuff that had happened there. Um, like I felt very toxic and very sad and deeply disappointing. Um, like the whole like Santa Claus not being real stuff kind of happened towards the end. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh God, does anyone actually believe this stuff? I thought we all really believed this stuff. Yeah, and just that heartbreak. Um, and so I wanted to process that, and I, I wrote this play where it's about a church putting on a play because it was this moment of like, uh, it was an inroad for me, like mm-hmm. for the theater meeting, um, meeting religion, like yeah. the performance art of a commu- making a com- religious community, and yeah, and it led to a lot of empathy. Like I realized, like oh, like the youth pastor who said that one thing that I have never forgotten that has lodged itself somewhere in my heart, not quite in trauma, but not certainly not in growth. Like that person was like 23. Yeah. And I, were I 23 doing the same thing? I probably done a worse job than they did. You know, like yeah. it's that feeling of um, just profound empathy. When I looked back, I all of a sudden was filled with uh, a lot of empathy, understanding why people said and did some of the weird things they did because they were afraid because they wanted to feel more alive because they were wanted some sort of control just yeah. it all of a sudden felt so much more human to me 
mm-hmm. all the like little instances of um, problematic shit. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot more human yeah. and less like an institution. Um, so yeah, the way, the feeling I have yeah. looking back is like I was the kid who was like tapped pretty early as like hiding leadership potential, mm-hmm. being like an anointed leader, whatever that thing is. Anointing, Godsling. Yeah. Do you want me to keep yeah. Godsplaining these things? Yes. Okay, yeah. I'm and glad that you're catching them because I'm just like, uh huh. Yeah. Anointing tracking. is like yes, the idea anointing. that you have like a sort of gift, like you have a talent or a gift, a specific anointing for something. From God. Yes. So right? she's a very anointed singer or worship worshiper. So yes. that would be like, oh, you should be in the, you should have some sort of, God's giving you a special gift to worship and you should. Did, um, was it part of your faith tradition growing up to do the spiritual gifts yeah. test? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were very okay. into that. Yeah. Very into that. Yeah. Um, and love languages is, and all of that yeah. stuff. Which spiritual gifts is another one that's just like hospitality mm-hmm. or um, creativity, mm-hmm. I think, was one. Or teaching. Yeah, or... teaching, speaking, pro- or teaching, prophesying was one. Prophecy was a gift. Uh, um, I can't remember them. <laughs> you don't have to remember Hospitality wrong. was one. Just I remember celibacy being one and everyone being like, oh, oh I don't want that, that gift. <laughs> Return that gift. <laughs> I wasn't here when you delivered that gift. Oh, that's so um, funny. Yeah, so I, I think I, I was tapped very early as like someone who had a lot of leadership potential, and I like I whether that was an actual prophecy or a self fulfilling prophecy kind of doesn't matter because it turned out to be true, right? I was like told that I was a leader and yeah. became one and owned that and um, was treated with such um, care and consideration by like the youth ministers and everyone as like I'm one of the youths that like they're going to that's going to be a leader in their ministry and is going to like lead all the other youths to Christ, right? Like, that mm-hmm. was sort of my gig. Yeah. Um, so I was given, like, extraordinary... Um, what would I even... The word coming to mind is privilege, but that's, like, me now talking about it. How would I have talked about it then? I don't know. I just had, like, youth pastors who took care of me, and, like, I went over to the house all the time, and I got to see people who were married, and, like, how they had a marriage mm-hmm. together, and... Um, they would give me rides places and I would spend time with them like watching TV and just feeling like I was um, that people cared about me and uh, yeah so I just was given just so much and like care and mentorship and discipleship by these people Mm -hmm. and uh, and then you get older and then things get harder and then those youth pastors leave and new youth pastors come and then and then you're like, wait, what even is this? And then those youth yeah. pastors leave, and new youth pastors come, and you're like, wait, what even is this? And you're an adult, and then all of a sudden, the things that seemed so clear when you were 14 weren't clear, and then people have affairs, and people disappoint you, and then things start to seem a lot more like they're about money than they were about the other stuff. Yeah. And then, and then, and then the messages get really confusing, and then like kids were asking me, well, you're teaching me this one thing in Sunday school, and yeah. then past the pastor of the church is saying this other thing in service and those things don't line up what do I do with that and I was like that's a really good question so would you say that this the time that you're describing right now is kind of when it started breaking down yeah very much so yeah I was always a little aware that there was I was always aware of a dissonance in the faith community I was I mean it sounds like it as an eight-year-old yeah I just I could see it I'll never fake this again yeah Yeah, I could see the dissonance. I was I was very aware that like there are people for whom these values are like in their heart, and then there are people who I don't think really get it. Mm-hmm. I just had the blind naiveness to think like, well, I'll always be the one who gets it. You know, okay. yeah. just that blind thing that like God always speaks to me pretty clearly, and like I'll always get this. And <laughs> yeah, um, and so the institution breaking down around me was very hard and very sad. These are the people that raised me, and so to feel like, mm-hmm. oh, some of the people who raised me 
also, I don't actually think, I think they're wrong about some really big stuff. Mm. I think they can't meet some of my friends because I'm not worried, I'm worried they'll not treat some of my new theater friends as if they're less mm. than human. So talk more specifically about that. Oh, well, there's a lot of, um, so I grew up right smack dab in the middle of purity culture, the height of uh, kind of post I kiss dating goodbye. Like I was on the tail end of I kiss dating goodbye, okay. which was like, don't date, just court. And God will tell you to marry. And so I was on the tail end of that. So I got some like the post ones, post curricula from that. Uh-huh. Curriculi? Curriculi? <laughs> I got a curriculum or two after that that were sort of building on that and making it better. But um, definitely like did like the purity vows in the white dress and like had a purity ring and like oh, all wow. that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you Mom, still have your purity ring? I lost it in the Rio Grande. On a church trip, so Nadia Bowles Weber is um, collecting purity rings right now. Oh, She's wow. going to melt them down into a sculpture. Oh wow! I want to say a sculpture of a vagina or a oh, vulva. Oh, I love it. A vulva. But I'm not entirely sure if I read that. I hope it's something Yannick. Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah. You I don't lost have mine. your purity ring. I lost mine. Okay, so um, purity culture is like save yourself for marriage. Yes, yes, very much so. And that was fine. It was what it was. It wasn't, it was, I was so scared of boys because of, I was just so afraid. I so mean, it gave you an that. easy out? You were like, oh, e- e- Yeah, it was, it was, it was sort of <laughs> aligning, lines against, it, it put parameters around, it put a wall around where my fence was. <laughs> so I was like, great, I guess if I decide to hop my fence, I can run into this wall. Yeah. Um, I so was so, yeah. Yeah, I was so scared of male relationships and male attention. I was really afraid of male attention. Because I grew up without a dad, and so right. some of my earliest memories are people praying over me, saying, praying that um, that she doesn't turn to men to wow. heal the wound that her father has left, that she never feels abandoned, and that God feels, you know, so the God is your dad stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I remember being young and being like, turn to men for what? Yeah, I never turned right. to men before. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew I wasn't going to do it. So I was yeah. not going to turn to men. <laughs> and mm. I was, in hindsight, I looked back and I was like, I was cute. Boys had crushes on me. Yeah. That's what that was. Yeah. I thought they sniffed something on me. Something on me. <laughs> that They made them know that I didn't have a dad and they could sniff it mm. on me. And I was going to be like somehow sexually deviant or I was going to like turn to them for, mm. you know. And so in, in the purity culture, you have to be team saint or team slut. There's kind of no middle ground. Yes. And so I was so, so determined to be team saint in regards to all things boys related um that I was gonna be unimpeachable I was like I already have one big car flag on the play what would you call the big card against me which is I don't have a dad that's a yes. big card that or that's a big nudge towards team slut apparently that I yeah. just felt like I had been born with right so I had to do the extra effort to nudge it back over to team slate team saint to be okay so so that was one thing that was Troubling. Yes. Um, But in the purity culture, there was also, uh, like, the gay community was, um, I mean, it was a perversion. Right. Or or a demon. Yeah. Pick whichever one. You were either choosing it. Well, abomination is sort of just like, it was bad. But it was uh, a, yeah, yeah, it was a perversion. So, like, you were born with some sort of perversion. Oh, Or you had some sort of demonic presence in your life. So that was making you do that. Or you were choosing, or, or the rebellion. You know, there was... Some yeah. sort of inherited or chosen whatever. And so I'm in college and I'm like, I can't bring my friends to meet the people who raised me and loved mm. me and didn't have to love me. That's what's hard about church family is like these people didn't have to love me and they did. Yeah. And that was really, um, I feel like I really owed them that. And I still do. Um, 
so super painful to feel like mm-hmm. wait <laughs> you know yeah like but but that's Miss Kathy that's Miss Marsha like these are women I like love like so that's those are yeah placeholder names but whatever um yeah so that was a little tricky um and uh I think there was a moment where I realized like similar to how like I had a fence around what I was going to do and was going to be and it was so much around my values that like um that it was easier for me to operate in these systems because I was a conventionally attractive straight white girl with a bubbly personality who would lead the youths and capture the flag so like I was going to have a fine experience but there were going to be myriad of other kids who were going to have a much more traumatic experience with this institution and I just didn't notice until I noticed so then tell me about what that was like noticing and feeling that um I don't know I don't want to describe I don't want to put words in your mouth but just like I'm imagining that it's like a little crack and then yeah it was um so the institution failing is was like a thing that I was kind of fine with because I felt like institutions were flawed and it was me and Jesus right Mm-hmm. And so that was, so as yes. institutions falling apart, I still, I still have my faith and I have friends who, as that institution, the church that we grew up with fell apart, their faith fell apart with it. Mm-hmm. Like they were entrenched and mine never was. My faith always felt this private thing, mm-hmm. sacred thing that I had. It was me yeah. and Jesus and also inside this institution. Um, so I still have my faith. And then it was only after that institution, after I left that church and I overcorrected, um, from that church to like a much more like theology based cool church. Okay. Um, like a reformed church okay. and reformed theology is um, like has a lot of predestination there's a lot of lot of theology they have a bible verse for everything and they have like a creed which is very different than my like okay. improvisational anyone can be a prophet upbringing uh-huh. which felt very destructive so like I overcorrected and was like I'm going to sit in the back here no one will touch me the pastor is on a screen like you, he can't even touch me if he tried no one's going to lay their hands on me and ask me to fall over uh-huh. I'm going to sit in the back here and cry and just like follow the rules like that felt really good this overcorrection from like the spirit and the feeling and the charismatic tradition yeah. so I sat in the back there for a while and then that um, was fine and useful for a while but I, I, I and tell me what's going on why are you crying because I uh, it's the first time that I feel like first I felt like it's me and Jesus and everyone around us and then I felt like oh it's me and Jesus alone like, mm-hmm. I am don't have any lunch table to sit at. Mm-hmm. I'm in the bathroom. And Jesus is here with me, but I'm in the <laughs> bathroom. Is it worth it? I have yeah. the Is it worth it Yeah. to do this? If it's like, if I'm never actually going to feel like at home with an institution? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and so that's how it felt then. And then, um, and then I started to feel very droughty, dry. Didn't. My spiritual practices had fallen away. You know, I, I, I had been, like, such a compulsive, like, prayer journaler and prayer and all these different things. And then I started to feel, like, they started to feel, like, gross. Hmm. I can't do these things. What are these things? Those started to get hard, and I didn't know who I was talking to. Was I talking to the institution, the god of the institution I grew up in? Was mm-hmm. I talking to the god of the institution I was video conferencing into on Sundays and, like, coming in late and sitting in the back and crying and leaving like which of these guys was I talking to and mm. it all felt so 
pretending and I didn't want to pretend. Um, and I reached a point, and then all this theological stuff was coming up, um, like, well, who who is allowed, and what does purity look like, and 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 are these are these people that I love like going to hell, and can, do I what do I I don't want to save them. What's what does that mean about me? I don't think they need saving. What a do I not actually believe this? Oh, you know, all that questioning happening. Um, and so then that's when the cracks of like me and Jesus alone in the bathroom started to feel like maybe it's just me in this bathroom. Mm. Maybe I need to walk out of the school. Like, I don't even know where I am. <laughs> where am I? What street <laughs> is this school? I don't know where I am. And that's, so that's sort of happening like kind of post-grad. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was what was happening then. And then, um, I had this moment where like I was weighing all these things I didn't know how to explain to people. I didn't know if I believed in, like, it's like I had a backpack of stuff I had grown up with, and I finally, I had always been thoughtful about what was in that backpack. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd always been a critical examiner of what was in my backpack, but it all seemed fine, and then it all started to get, like, suspect, and so I, yeah. you know, probably tossed a couple things out when I left the church I grew up in, and then, uh, and then at this moment, you know, post-college, a couple years out, I, like, took off that backpack, opened it up, and, like, really looked at all of this because it was getting way too heavy. And I was like, I'm not going to survive. I'm going to die. Like, the options are I toss this backpack off and I don't believe. Or I look more critically at this backpack. So I went through the backpack and I was like, okay, like, this theological principle, that theological principle, like, this, that, that. Then I was like, do you know what? The only thing I I can carry right now is, like, the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That is who I'm into. Yeah. That's what I'm into. So tell me what... What were some of the things you had to throw out? Um, a lot of some teaching about sexuality, most of teaching about sexuality that that felt very um, that felt really indefensible at the time. It felt like we had to do a lot of mental gymnastics to prove that like this is what people meant when they wrote it in the Bible. They meant it for you right now in this moment at this age in this tradition. Uh-huh. There was a lot of gymnastics that had to be done that I think I had taken for granted until I had to try to explain it to a bunch of people, and I was like, I don't. <laughs> It says it. It says it. I swear. I swear it was something in the Greek of it was like, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that, I was like, I don't know what this is. Um, I don't know that this is bringing me towards more love or more life. Mm. Or I could prove it wasn't bringing me towards more love and more life. So I was like, I don't don't know what to do with it. Um, Can you you expound a little bit more on being in the... The world of theater mm-hmm. and I I know how much you love the people that you've worked with right like you just in theater yes yeah, and yeah. theater like you yeah they're my I people just, yeah they're your people they're my people so tell me about how the experience because I would imagine and correct me if I'm wrong this is the picture that I have in my head is that um Jan grew up hearing about gay people hearing about mm-hmm. promiscuous people hearing about the other right and had this idea, but then went to college and all of a sudden met the other. Sure. And yeah. you were like, wait, no, I I love you. Like, yeah. I, it was, you're wonderful. The way it felt was like, I was taught that that's like, so there is the people who are like, have Jesus and they are whole because of that. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're still broken. You know, they're still, the church is a, a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints or whatever. You heard that? <laughs> yeah. It's like a saying. I always really loved that. I was like, that's a great little... Yeah. What, what literary device would that be? Chiasmus? No, hospital for sinners. Parallel structure. It's just a nice little drop quote. <laughs> um, but th- it was like, that was healing and life. 
um, was the people who were close to Jesus. And then there are the people outside of that who are like living in some sort of like false self. And that was where the death was. And instead Mm. I found a bunch of people where I was like, death and life does not correspond as neatly to gay or straight or religious or not religious. Yeah. Like I can see people who are, um, like theater folks, whatever, like, like joyful pagans who, Mm. um, are, seem to be finding life. And I can see some of them who are like finding destruction and chaos and what I would call like evil. And same with religious people. Like it sort of seemed like, how do I, the, the, the reductive way to say it is like, there aren't the good and bad people. They're like, all people, people and they're all yeah. moving towards like good or bad if that makes sense mm-hmm. that sort of it was like the map sometimes at the same time yeah yeah it felt like the yeah. premise it felt like finding out that the premise of like the equation you were working with the premise of your equation was completely false like just like the yeah. the um yeah a little bit of that um and most of this do you know what the idea that like having friends who were gay and stuff like that, that was like the back of my mind though. This wasn't like an active whatever thing. It was just such a slow realization of like, oh wait, all of a sudden, you, I, I'm i not certain y'all are going to love the people that I love. It's just slow. Just a mm-hmm. slow thing. Yeah. It wasn't a big dramatic, you know, moment for me because I have the luxury of that. I'm a straight person. I don't have to have a big dramatic, right. you know. Yeah. I didn't have to come out, out of the closet to my church as a gay affirming person. Didn't have to because I was a straight yeah. person. <laughs> like the privilege of that is I could like slowly realize stuff over time as opposed to being so like a, in a mm. dramatic instance, which a lot of my good friends have a dramatic instance of being excommunicated from their religious communities, but didn't have to. Yeah. Um. Anywho, so that but that was like a. Um, okay, so you you take the backpack off. I take the backpack off and but I now yeah, toss up some stuff. It's like I'm not I, I'm not I don't have a certain theology around hell. Like I don't have a certain one about that. Um, yeah. I don't at all. I love the idea of heaven because I love the idea of Jesus and if I could be like close and near to whatever it was that he was, Mm -hmm. that sounds amazing. If I could be like at the direct source of that without it being like convoluted through like translation and um, (laughs) metaphor and poetry and like Hebrew teaching style, which is like makes no sense to us, to American, Mm -hmm. does not compute over to like American three bullet points. What Jesus was up to makes (laughs) <laughs> the way he teaches has like very little correlation to anyhow yeah so I you know the idea of heaven is still so seems so beautiful to me um, and important but yeah so kind of basically I like kept Jesus and was like uh, I don't know about Paul <laughs> do you know yes, like yes, I'm, yes. I'm gonna hold tight onto this person of Jesus Christ yeah. I'm gonna hold tight into this and then when people are like well what about this thing in the bible I can be like oh I don't know <laughs> I sure do not know about that. What about this? Yeah. What about predestination? Is it that or is it free will? And I'm like, oh, do you know how much I don't know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know at all. Yeah. I, I, I don't, you know. I mean, I don't I don't think that's like a defensible or I wouldn't I wouldn't um advocate <laughs> right. for this as a place to be, but it happens to be where I am. Yeah. Just I'm ferociously holding. Like this this picture that I had in my mind in the darkest moments of like, I don't know. If any of this was real, like was I an idiot? Mm-hmm. <laughs> any of this real? Any of the, anything in this backpack worth holding on to? I'd have these images of um, in the um, Narnia books. Mm-hmm. There's a moment where 
Lucy has all this doubt and she can't find Aslan and she, he's not talking to them and then she thinks she hears him and anyhow there's a there's a specific vivid scene where she finally finds him and then she's able to climb up on his back and feel that mm-hmm. he's real and hold on to his fur and he just like runs and she's just holding him mm-hmm. so I just had this image that's like I couldn't bear to like fake any of the other spiritual practices or things you're supposed to do if you're a believer but I would just hold on to that image in my head Mm. like that image was still pure and still felt like maybe true on some molecular level in my body Mm -hmm. or some spiritual level outside of my body but I could hold on to that if I couldn't figure out anything else so I still feel like anything else other than I love Jesus in the way that you irrationally love things and people and Mm -hmm. you don't have to prove why you just do (laughs) anything other than that I'm willing for you to make an argument for me as to why it's bullshit and I can listen to it and without having to prove to you why you're wrong. That's sort of where I've landed. Mm. That's where I've landed. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I do. I don't, but I don't think that I can, Well, I I I, I can care. I say I like that because I relate to it so much that it's nice to hear another person. Sure. Yeah. It's not, but like you have kids, like when I have kids, I don't know exactly what to tell them to oh no we we just let gina take care of that at <laughs> you just outsource it to your children's pastor we totally do. um but i do. i i don't i don't there's this thing that happens when any anyone has been like especially burned by or at minimum just like left the church like any like mm-hmm. ex-evangelical thing or if you ask oh my god this is gonna happen so many times on your podcast and for, uh, forgive me in advance for the no, pop, for it. me popping into your do head it. every time this happens and you ask them what they believe and they just start naming nouns uh-huh. you know just like family and like food and like love and like life and like spirituality oh, they just start naming nouns yeah. as what they believe in yeah and i wish we all had the integrity to say i, I don't know i don't, know. I don't yeah. have a lot of certainty right now mm-hmm I mean, unless but you're what? really certain about those nouns, that's fine. I just feel like the, <laughs> when you're ex-evangelical, like when you've been told, when you've grown up thinking that like we have an answer and it's absolute, mm-hmm. and you exit it, and then you still have this core DNA, which is to be absolute, but you don't have faith anymore, so you're like, it was all bullshit. That's absolute. <laughs> like you still have yeah. the equation of like things need to yeah. be absolute in your heart or else they're and not good enough. And you need to know enough. it. You need right? to know it, yeah. You need to, and your pride is tied up into it in a lot of ways. At least mine was. Um, so... Yeah, that's a big, I, I would, you know, 18-year-old me would probably be very disappointed that mm. uh, 18-year-old me thought that she had reasoned her faith with apologetics, and apologetics, God's Lane, is a whole series of um, uh, logical arguments by which you can defend the reasonability of your faith, yeah. of why Jesus Christ is who he says he is, why the Bible is um, uh, is worth believing in and as a mm. as a accurate book all these different things and I studied so much of those and they were so useful to me staying in my faith as like a young person and I thought oh, it'd be so much easier to not be a Christian I could just be in college and not have to worry about any of this stuff whatever but I still have my faith because I've reasoned it so hard that I know yeah. it's true I'd love to toss this thing off but I can't because it's so true and so clear to me um it's kind of how I felt um that's how younger me felt and then older me feels like I have my faith because against all odds, it feels like a free gift I've been given. Mm. Someone just gave me this gift, which is like, you believe in Jesus. Mm. And, uh, and 
and and it's a heart thing which is awfully scary if you're a logic person and and when anyone feels like it's bullshit i'm like i can i completely understand and it's the, in, the, in the way that all heart love things are yes. that yes it just feels like a free gift i have and that is not a thing i reason in and out of intellectually it's like a, a thing i have for free yeah which you know some people would say is biblical I was going to say, that's, that sounds like a very specific uh, theology. Yeah, there is. Yeah. I mean, there are. There are people yeah. that, I mean, that, that ties back into some predestination stuff, which is yeah. like, against all odds, I, I believe in someone else who is next to me who's just as smart or, you know, whatever, doesn't. And that's. And do you, you may but, not have an answer for this. Sure. That's okay. But do you believe that your gift of faith gets you something special? Like, because the, the theological. Um, the way that I've heard it taught theologically is like, oh, everyone's given this gift of faith and it's that gift of faith that will, that's why Jesus saved you and that's why you get to go to heaven, mm. right? So do you feel like you're outside of whatever it is that you personally get from a relationship with Jesus, outside of that, do you feel like it, um, your gift of faith gives you this like exclusivity or do you just feel like it's a thing you have it just right now it just feels like a thing i have hmm. it's just a thing that i have <laughs> and other people don't have it and their lives and their relationships and their houses and their bedrooms look like mine i just also have this other thing mm-hmm. which is I, I i really love jesus i just like him a lot yeah <laughs> I, I you know I still have this thing in the morning that makes me want to inhale and exhale, and it's like a certain kind of prayer. And I and that's and that's honestly that's the extent of it at the moment. Yeah. Like that's all I've got. And it feels yeah. like it's bringing me closer towards life. Um. And what I don't like in myself, or or what you know, let's not say it that way. What I find. I. I grew to have a lot of respect um, through one of my, co- my college roommate, actually, who was an agnostic. I grew to have a lot of respect for people who were agnostic and said it atheist. Mm-hmm. Like, the idea of saying, like, I, sure, this could be. Yeah. Something I, might be I, there. I can't have, I don't have enough evidence for that. You know, because earlier on in high school and different, like, my theology classes and stuff like that, I went to a very private, a private very Christian school, that, that I, agnosticism seems so idiotic is uh, math could be real you know like just <laughs> such shitty things he would say and then as I got to yeah. know my roommate I remember I, I, I grew to really admire people who could say like sure it could I would need a lot more to go all in on this thing and I don't have it so here I am I don't have enough to go all in on atheism either so here I am that it, it started to feel so um intellectually sound to have clarity about the lack of clarity you have felt mm-hmm. so um like freeing and really lovely and now I've started to also really appreciate people who go all in on something whole hog that are willing to make tremendous sacrifices to say like my personal satisfaction would be higher if I didn't submit so wholeheartedly to this rule that we all created but I'm going to submit wholeheartedly to this rule that was created at my church because Mm -hmm. I'm all in I believe it's some greater good like people who can actually I think, I, I think I've gotten to know too, quite, uh, maybe too too many people who are like, yeah, I'm like a spiritual person. And like, and you start to realize like your guiding principle 
tends to correlate a lot with your own self-interest. Mm-hmm. Like your self-interest seems to be the guiding principle. Yeah. Like this like personal sense of God seems to never really deny you anything you want and never really ask yeah. more of you than That's is comfortable. Kinda, oh, you just, I think you just named what it is like the rub for me with the whole woo-woo spirituality thing. Have you heard about this? It's like kind of like a combination of like tarot cards and like the universe and zodiac and like all oh yeah all the things it doesn't right? ask like, very much sacrifice of you. it doesn't and maybe not any yeah or it tells you that and actually this kind of makes me think of what you were saying about the um help me with the the prosperity gospel yeah of like just oh no just keep believing that the universe is going to give you gifts and it will and it's not dissimilar you, to the what you're calling woo woo. Yeah, it's exactly. Actually not it's like at all. it's very very similar. So it's like there's something about if anything, the prosperity gospel has has enough um, integrity to, to often name that thing you want as a Cadillac. Yeah, <laughs> from the thing you want from the universe that yes. you're calling a God is yes. is is comfort and yes. to be taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I've grown to as a result of meeting a lot of people or more people who have that person and being very much so invited into a much more like woo-woo spiritual personality your personal what would you call that you called it woo-woo spirituality but like yeah, it's, it's um, um they just call it woo-woo oh it's, it's like they it's call literally it literally called woo-woo I thought, i'm not no, mocking it i thought you were mocking it no. i was like it's a little rude no i am not <laughs> mocking it it's literally if you google if google if you google woo-woo if you google woo-woo spirituality okay it, there's things that will come up and um, I've just always kind of been like, sounds convenient. That like well, you just get yeah. to go on living your life however you want to and you don't have to make any sacrifices. Yeah. And you don't have to um, worry about how you treat other people. Because what I see a lot here is like, oh, if a relationship isn't making you happy, then it's just not what the universe has for you. And I'm like, or yes, maybe, right? Of yeah. course. If you're in a relationship and it's toxic, like leave it. But maybe you're contributing to the relationship as well, and you're not bringing your best self to the table. Yeah, and personal maybe, accountability. Yes, yeah. like like you can't just go around thinking that. I, I think that everyone that, owes you everything, and if not, then the universe is telling you to walk away. <laughs> in my experience, as an adult human, it is a very human thing to overcorrect. <laughs> From one thing to another. So, yeah. like, if religion requires, like, obligation. Yes. And, like, you're going to work for free to prove you're part of the club. Yes. And you are going to whatever. Like, if it's about obligation, then, like, the idea of, like, freedom and not feeling so obligated in order to, like, accept goodness from the universe would yeah. be, like, a lovely first step that feels an awful lot like freedom. Yeah. And feels like life. And then you keep walking that direction and then walk onto the other end of the spectrum, which is, like, nothing is required of you. Mm-hmm. And every everything that makes you feel bad is probably something that you have to avoid. Yeah. Like the overcorrection. And I think that's actually like for me, and because I am in a very similar place of like I just cannot shake Jesus. Like everything else is yeah, up I in don't the air. Wanna, but, and I don't want other religions. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I'm exactly. Not, <laughs> but I think that that me. what you just said is like what Jesus invites us into, is like no, nothing is required of you here. Like my love is free, my grace is free. And then hopefully, as we mature as people, our response to that is like, wow, I want to go out and show that to other people. 
Yeah. Like, that's who I want to be in the world, is I want to offer this, like, love and grace and um, without strings attached. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's the thing I want yeah. to do in the world. And that's the thing I like the most about the person of Jesus Christ, who I seem to still really just love and my heart like melts open or breaks open to every time I hear or learn more about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also like I've never felt more outside evangelical culture than I have mm-hmm. in the past couple years. I just don't. I don't. It sounds some of the words sound weird to me now, and they didn't before. They just sound weird. Mm-hmm. The other day, someone said the Lord, and I was like, the who? <laughs> the Lord? The Lord, yeah. Like, it sounded so antiquated to me because I realized I just hadn't heard that word in so long. There's, um, I, that's baffling to me. Yeah, I was, it's very, your Sunday yeah. school teacher grew up and is like, yeah, the Lord just, just told I feel me so that. outside evangelical culture, and yeah. I feel so. The things, like, the, the the niche things are, like, even when I was writing that play, I could do it, uh, the adults I could write really well. When it came time to write the youth characters, I was really at a loss, because I was like, mm. oh boy, do I not know what 17-year-olds and 16-year-olds are being taught, because church culture changes oh, so more slowly than pop culture changes, but very quickly. Yeah. And, like, it's funny, if you see, like, work about church done by, like, people who are raised in church and no longer are in it, I can, I've honed an ability to, like, watermark their work by the year that they exited the church. (laughs) Because I'm like, oh, that's not, we wouldn't be making, like, like, in Pete Holmes' Crashing. Have you seen that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. When they have, is it a Casting Crowns CD that he has? Maybe. Jars of Clay or something? Yeah, probably. And I was like, nah, bro. Yeah. You're, no. You left circa 2000, uh-huh. 2004. <laughs> That's not the gig anymore. You would not. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of stuff that I was like, I can date. I can watermark. I can. Although I will say, I know people who have recently gone to a Casting Crowns concert. Great. It's still a thing. Sure. We're just outside of it. Sure, maybe. Maybe you're right. No, maybe teenagers that... aren't doing it. Youth yeah, yeah, groups yeah. aren't doing it. Maybe but that's, that's what, what I was like, mean, are but... they? Because then I was like, I can do a Hillsong joke. And I was like, I don't even know that they're into Hillsong anymore. <laughs> There's probably a post-Hillsong that they're into now. I think maybe, it's Jordan yeah. Daigle. I think that's the gig. Anyhow, so I just had the moment where I was like, it changes so quickly. I actually don't know what yeah. I feel outside of it um, because I have tried really, I just to protect myself. I was like, to try to engage in this culture is just going to further isolate me. So I'm just going to hang out with Jesus here. And try to find people who don't think I'm crazy. And I've been really lucky to find a lot of people who don't think I'm crazy. And some of them are believers and more of them aren't. Yeah. And that's where I'm at, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, as like a spiritual person. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, I feel like you just uh, took your heart out and like put it on cried, the table. Cried. I've gotten really good at uh, speaking through crying. Yeah. Did you notice that? I did. Yeah. <laughs> dad project yeah. untitled dad um, yeah. podcast has got me really good at like, listen, I'm going to be interviewing you while open face crying. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to keep going. Cause I really have to ask you these questions. I've gotten good at that. Oh, I also, okay. So, Oh, go ahead. No, I also just wanted to briefly shout out that I grew up with a lot of great youth ministers who I totally, and I think you, I think that came across to me anyway. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to be a youth pastor. Yeah, and they were good and enough you, at their jobs said, that I wanted to do it. And you said that you felt very, like, um, 
Yeah, I was taken like care respected of. or taken yeah, care of. I was and, very like, like seen, esteemed and loved and seen, seen, and that means the world when you're young. That's almost yeah. all you need. Yeah, it's just a couple people to see you and think that you're worthy of their time. Mm-hmm. God, that meant everything to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a lot of what I want to do with my work now. Right? Is mm-hmm. like a lot of what I'm doing now is super analogous to what I the reason I wanted to be a youth pastor. Yeah, I want to make work that engages that. young women. Like talks about their value, engages how the game is rigged against them. Oh, we didn't even get into gender shit. Gender shit was a big part of unpacking that um, backpack. There's yeah. stuff. There's, like, latent misogyny that I've baked into my body that I just didn't realize until much later. Yeah. I'd be like, what is this feeling inside me that is so awful? And I'd be like, oh. Several of the mechanisms inside your body are designed to make you feel like shit because you're a woman. And mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe examine those mechanisms. Yeah. A lot, a lot of them having to do with clothing. Team, the team saint, team yeah. slut stuff, just it sticks yeah. with you. It, 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 it's how I learned how to get dressed. I had to like unlearn some stuff. I can, yeah, I can totally see that. And as someone, I'm, I'm pretty tall, mm. um, and I have an especially long torso. Mm. And um, so, did you navigate around the fingertip length short thing? Oh, 100. Like, yeah, because I, I don't couldn't. even think I wore shorts. No, to like you can't. for school. It was yeah. only like at home. And, the, and the, the idea that you're responsible for men's attraction to yes. you was yes. not, what could could not have been more enforced. Right. You know. Yes, 100. percent Man, yeah. I actually, when crop tops started coming back, I was like. Oh, I think I could actually pull off a crop top. The bravery that. with which I have to put on a crop top yeah. and be like, you're okay. Yeah. You like how you look. Yes. Um, you are not depreciating your value in the eyes of men. Right. And if <laughs> you are, the, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't have to do with you. you. It's not it your problem. It doesn't have anything to yeah. do with you. The deep, the deep codependency <sighs> of making sure yes. kind of mediocre to mildly interesting men feel okay about themselves near my existence yeah. <laughs> was so weirdly baked into and ministry just culture. How we not we, well maybe whatever, how Christian Christianity, how do I want to say this? How the church just like sexualized girls' bodies yes, way I too early. So, I felt so dirty so and the way to offset that dirtiness was to just lean harder into being super super pure and trying yeah. very hard to prove how pure I was and, yeah. and to not ever be in question not ever have an outfit that was even remotely in question it was like yeah. it was like beyond a shadow of a doubt is what I wanted to be like it's like you almost when you were describing the the spectrum of like saint and slut mm-hmm. um, and you were saying like oh I already had like one push towards slut it's yeah. almost like that evangelical movement starts girls in the middle from the time you're like yeah. 11 years old yeah and they're like oh you're already you you need to do this, 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 and this to get a, closer to you have a body the... that looks like a woman yes, and, men especially, wanna, yes. and men want to talk to you and that's you're doing that. Yes. Yeah, I was so afraid of men. I am still really having to figure out uh, what to do with men. <laughs> what to do with them. Where to put them on the shelf. Yeah, how to process relationships with them. Um there was this, yeah, there's some weird stuff that was baked into, like, purity culture as it combined with ministry culture as it combined to, um, combined with the church I grew up in. It's weird. Some and weird just stuff. American culture, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. how American culture then reinforces yeah. everything that the church taught you. Yeah, it's really... Yeah, because the trap is then you leave the church and then your options are liberation looks like 
not giving a shit about yourself in the other direction, which is like right. maybe freedom will come in another shape and size and it'll come from making like decisions with men who don't care about you and you know, like the just right. there's just feels like there's a trap on either side of that. Yeah. Um and I am really grateful for like the women in my life who helped me navigate that. I tried to. Yeah. Okay, so I have some questions that are a little bit lighter. Okay, great. The first one is, um, if you could name one book that kind of helped you through this process or is helping you in this process, what would it be? I'm going to think of something so great right when I leave. What books? Hmm. It's been podcasts. It hasn't been books. Is that that's, the next that's question? The question? Okay. Do you want to skip and go to podcasts? No, let, me, let me briefly think through my okay, library. Think about the books. Hmm. What could it be? Okay. Who? Who? What other question would I have? I'm picturing like. 19 year old me like curled up with blue like jazz just like <laughs> really feeling like she gets it no one else gets it but she gets it her and Donald Miller get it <laughs> god bless baby me I love her so much oh I just want to hold her and tell her yeah. she's already okay and she's yeah. fine and yeah. she's doing great <laughs> uh, she wouldn't believe you no she wouldn't or she'd be really glad that she had pleased me mm-hmm. Um, God, okay. Book that's helped me through. I haven't read a lot of, like, in the past couple years, I haven't read a lot of books on spiritual, like, in regards to spirituality. Um, I have not read a lot. Uh, oh, I'm coming up blank. Okay. You gotta cut all that middle part out. I'm leaving it all in. No! (laughs) A book. If you think of one later, I can... I know I'm going like, to add a tag on the end or something. Be like, by the way, by the way, she Jan finally says, read this. I just book. Want to go through my. I need to go through my. Uh, bookshelf at home, and see what I could. Have you read any Rachel Held Evans? No, I know I'm gonna love her. I just she's so good. On my list of amazing content that I resent. Because mm. I have to experience yes. it all. There's too much good stuff And I'll out never there. finish it, uh, is, is her stuff, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about podcasts that are go-tos for you. Um, In the, like, realm of spirituality or even um, podcasts that talk about, like, the gender issues that you're... That I'm just going to pull out so, my... Oh, yeah. Get your phone um, out. So I really appreciate... Uh, going to my show section on my phone. <laughs> um, I got really, I briefly got really into um, Rob Bell's Robcast because uh-huh. he was such like an important heretic growing up that like I liked his work and everyone liked his work and we were like Numa videos, yeah, and I was so into was his work. Thing. And then he was a major heretic, heretic, and then he's in your Heretics Club. Oh, he's the like president. <laughs> he has a he's movie. Too busy to be a president. There's a movie about him called The Heretic. Oh wow! Can you imagine? Um, anyway. Oh so, no, no, no! But it's like a beautiful documentary. No, I'm sure. I'm yeah, just saying, like the them, f- the, the yeah. feeling of yeah. I just went on a whole journey. Imagine there's a scene in the documentary where he's talking about 
everyone just kind of sees him. Yeah. And he gets kind of teary-eyed. Yeah. And it's just, like, heartbreaking. Everyone who used to, like, get coffee and connect. Because I had this, I had this yeah. moment. I, I went to the um, Conspire Conference this past year, which is a conference put on by the Center for Action and Contemplation, which is Richard, Richard Rohr's I was about to say next, yeah. In Albuquerque. And um, Barbara Brown Taylor spoke. And uh, she said something. She articulated something for me that I had felt so deeply. But she was like, when you are in the process of deconstruction, deconstructing your faith, and you're asking questions that make other people uncomfortable, you almost become taboo. Mm, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, yes. you do. Because I went from teaching Bible studies to women to like sitting down with friends and having them like throwing scripture out and me just being like I hear you but I just don't know I just mm. don't know and then having fear on their face of like yeah it's wait, worrisome oh gosh what do you mean you don't know yes. like you were so sure if you don't know and the disappointment ooh. and the fear and the concern yeah to concern so many people I just wish I hope that the people I grew up with who helped raise me, who are like my mentors, whatever, are, I hope that they're tremendously proud of their work. Mm. Like, I think I'm closer to God here than I am safely ensconced yeah. in an Acts 29 branded church pretending. Mm-hmm. I think I'm closer here. Yeah, that's where I just, I'm in the light. I'm confused, but I'm in the light. Yeah. I'm not hiding. And I still think Jesus loves me. I'm still taking them up on their promise that he loves me no matter what. Mm-hmm. I am calling their bluff on that one by saying, does he still love me here? Yeah. When I irregularly attend a church and sit in the back and cry and then leave. It's like, yeah. I'm taking them up on their promise that he's going to love me no matter what. Um, I hope they're tremendously proud of their work, but I understand how uncomfortable I would make People yeah. who wanted to be sure I was safe. Yeah. I can understand how uncomfortable that would make them. It's hard when you are the uncertainty in a room full. Yeah, of certainty. Certainty. Um, or like um, the the appearance of certainty. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of the reasons I didn't want to do youth ministry or do any kind of ministry. Um, <clears throat> earlier on, I realized that you have to stop asking some interesting questions. Mm-hmm. But to do the job, you have to kind of like you can have all the ambitions in the world of like chasing all of your interesting questions but at a certain point like there's a reason that your church whatever it is has like a party line of some kind has like a has some stances has some policies that they don't want you to waver from that like that became I just never want to be in a situation where I'm telling trying to give somebody a certainty that I don't have Mm mm-hmm um yeah. Okay. The podcast. Yes. Podcast. Um, uh, so I got really into Robcast, particularly the Father Richard Rohr one. I listened to that mm-hmm. one over and over again. It's so good. Because he does his seven yeah. uh, principles of what orthodox, um, alternative orthodoxy. Yeah. His alternatives. It's and so good. Richard Rohr. Um, I also really love a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Uh-huh. And it's um, to uh, theology seminarians i don't know what their gig is they're harvard kids and they uh are harvard students um 
yeah, Harvard theology students, I think is what they were, and they um, read Harry Potter as if it is a sacred text. So they apply the principles that in their theology classes they would do to a sacred text, they apply that to Harry Potter. So they read each chapter through the lens of a theme, mm-hmm. like a theme of friendship, and then at the end they do like a spiritual practice, which is like all these ancient practices, like yeah. picking a verse at random and seeing what it has to teach you, or like reading a verse and imagining yourself into it, like St. Ignatius would do, stuff like yeah. that. Um, and I find it really, really quite beautiful. Um, what else do I like? Um, gosh, I don't know that I, I have that much faith on my podcasts anymore. Um, not a lot. The Rothcast is pr- kind of probably it. Um, were there any in, were you listening to podcasts in your like end of college yeah, yeah. days? I would like... listen to, uh, there's a church in Portland called Imago Day. Mm-hmm. Um, with with McKinley, maybe? Yeah. I used to listen to that one. I liked it a lot. They had really creative... They had a lot of, like, Portland artists in their congregation, mm-hmm. so I'd listen to all their sermons, and um, I found them really beautiful um, and useful, and I was, like, not not really necessarily, like, really enjoying the church, you know, I'd grown up with anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd listen to those sermons, too. Okay. Last question. Yeah. If money wasn't an issue... Mm-hmm. What is one thing you would do just for fun? One thing I would do just for fun. Um, I would love to get an old hotel and paint each room a completely different color and then fill each of those rooms with items that are only perfectly correspond to that color, like shade perfectly, like the exact Pantone swatch, everything mm-hmm. in that room, random objects. And then just create a complete rainbow hotel of um, completely unique experiences or completely normal experiences, but everything in that room is the same color. Is exact and like not like be painted that color. You have to find it in that shade. The effect would be that it had been found that shade. I think it's okay if we commission, you know, thumbtacks made this exact color of like Mm -hmm. you know Pantone, Pantone, electric violet, you know, but um, that would be. Really you fun. just described my daughter's dream. They would love to be able to have a rainbow. Yeah, your daughters and I are, have a lot in common, <laughs> as illustrated by the fact that we just like played puzzles for a while before this. They can come hang out in my rainbow hotel anytime they want. I would live there along, in, as well as in many of my other houses. I said money is no object. Money is no object. No, no. I would, yeah, I would have a rainbow hotel and a bunch of other properties that all have different <laughs> themes. Like, honestly, to be the person who, like, designed the Rainforest Cafe seems like just the coolest job to, like... It's also very theatrical. It's very in keeping with the world building of the theatrical world where, like, you get to step into a new world that has been created for you and it has its own rules and it has its own values and it has its own beauty and fear and shame, whatever. On stage, you create your own world. I love world creating, immersing someone in a new world, inviting them in and, like, creating a lot of meaning and purpose inside it. So to do that visually would be really fun for me. I can see you doing that. Yeah, it'd be awesome. So if there's anyone out there that's listening, there's, there's a super, super rich. There's a place called the Color Museum that does something comparable. Oh. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well. But mine's a hotel. Mine's just like my friends come and stay, you stay in it. Would you stay? You'd be able to stay in it then. It would be a functional hotel. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, okay. I just You just looked at me like, of course. <laughs> of course it would be. It would not be a museum. It would be a functional hotel. Yeah, that I invite people I like to stay in. Okay. We don't take guests. An exclusive yeah. functional hotel. 
All right, Jean-Yell. Is this it? for being on the podcast. Oh, my God. We didn't even get to my Catholic boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, and my journey through that. Maybe we'll have you back. Another time I got pulled out of a mud pit because my swimsuit was a one-piece instead of having a shirt over it. That's a whole story. Or speaking in tongues. You didn't ask me about my prayer language. You talked about praying I did talk about praying in tongues, yeah. I did talk about that. That was interesting. That was a fun moment. If you want, you can... Uh, record a voice memo of you speaking in <laughs> tongues and then I'll throw it in no uh, it's very traumatic um I I will I'm just every time I have a spiritual realization I'm gonna send you a voice memo and then I'm gonna add have you add it to this, <laughs> to this re- add it to this episode and re-upload it okay and you may you better edit this to make me sound good you'll how sound long good is no it matter what you know it would be awesome if I could read it's 2490 <laughs> what are those seconds 91 bars oh how many seconds is a bar? You know, I don't know. It's the tempo is 120. <laughs> Great. It's a four four times signature. I don't know what time we're signatures in, we're are. In C major, if that helps you. Does that does that mean that's what my voice speaks at? C major. This is it's just it's Garage Band. It's made for music, so okay. you have to set a key. All right. You gonna end it? You guys, wasn't that so good? Um, man, I just, I knew that it was good when we (laughs) sat down and talked, and, uh, it's been about a month since we did that, a little over a month, and listening back to it, I was just like, oh, I can't wait to share this with people, so I hope that, um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation, as much as I enjoyed listening back to it. If you did love it. If you could rate and review us on iTunes, that would be helpful in getting this into more people's ears and hearts and minds. And after the first episode aired, I had a few people shoot me text messages and say, wow, thank you for doing this. I needed to hear that. And um, I can't tell you how validating it was and how grateful I am that people are listening. Janielle and I were wrong. We have at least 15 of you, which is a big deal. Um, It's more than just our moms and my husband. Uh, I really want you guys to engage in conversations with each other. And so I've tried to create a place for that on the Heretics Club Instagram account. It's at the Heretics Club. And I'm not going to post very much there. I'll be honest. I'll post every time I release an episode. And that is where you can go and share if you've had similar experiences or um, ask questions. I will tag the person uh, that's in the episode. And so the cool thing about this podcast is that I'm interviewing people in my everyday life who... um, run their own Instagram accounts who have the time to, I think, Janielle may not have a ton of time, but she will take the time, I know her, to respond to your questions and engage with you. And um, I just, this is my greatest desire with this project is that we would be able to connect with each other and that we would be able to uh, relate in our humanity and in our brokenness and in our growth and in our beauty and I want Instagram to be the place where we can do that for now at least 
I can't wait for you to hear my next conversation. I'm so excited about it, but you'll have to wait. So share this with a friend and we'll see you in March. Thanks for listening. As always, all of the music that you heard in this episode is provided by Loud Harp. Um, I just use the instrumental tracks and you guys have got to go check out their music uh, in all its glory. You can do that on their website at loudharp.com or you can buy their albums on iTunes.